this week's episode of Reno Whites. My name is Connor McWibby. I'm your host, as always. Good to have you here with me. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Jolene Cook from Reno Local Food Week. Reno Local Food Week starts August 15th and is a week-long event full of local food events. There's farmer's markets, there's classes, there's giveaways, there's all kinds of fun stuff going on, and Jolene is the one who has put it all together. She also works with Reno Food Systems and Urban Farm here in town. We had a great conversation about local food, about our local food systems, but much more than that, we talked about community and how food relates to our local community, the way that we relate to each other, and how that factors into not just how we eat and how healthy we are and how healthy our environment is, but also how we connect to each other. It was a really, really great conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. This week's episode is brought to you by DJ Trivia. As you know, I am a host for DJ Trivia at several venues around town. I'd like to tell you a little bit about DJ Trivia Leagues. If you play at the same venue week after week, you're automatically participating in the DJ Trivia League, which is super fun. The top teams from each venue get to compete at the end of the season in a big kind of battle royale for the best of the best in Reno Trivia. Super fun. Go to DJTriviaNevada.com to check out locations, and I hope I'll see you out at one of my venues soon. This episode is brought to you by This Is Reno. This is Reno is the local news source if you want to know what's going on in our town. Go to thisisreno.com. You can sign up for the daily newsletter, which has links to all of the articles, all the headlines. I recommend you subscribe to This is Reno for the best local reporting on what's happening in town. And now this week's guest, Jolene Cook. Jolene Cook, thank you so much for coming on Renoites. It's so exciting to have you on the show. Dude, I am so excited. I'm such a big fan of Reno. So anybody that is helping spread the Reno love, uh, I, w- I want to be friends with that person. So thanks thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I read an article that you were interviewed in, said something like you're one of the top three most Reno-obsessed people in the city or something like that, <laughs> like planting that flag of like a dedicated Reno. And you've moved away and then come back to Reno, right? So uh, yeah. I guess a good place to start is we're talking about food on this episode and Reno's kind of local food scene and things that are happening in the the food system in Reno. But you have not always lived here. You were born and raised here and then left and came back. Kind of my same story, too. So can you talk a little bit about your path from leaving Reno and then coming back and also how food played into that, like your your interest in food and what brought you back to Reno to be involved in food here? For sure. Um, no problem. Yeah. So I was, I, I say I was born and bred. I don't know why I say that, but I, you know, I try to be funny, I guess, um, in Reno and I feel like it's kind of an iconic place. Um, and so since I went away, I, I felt like that got reiterated, you know, reinforced and especially cause my name's Jolene and my parents were at the Dolly Parton concert at the MGM grand in Reno. Um, and they're like, if we have a girl, we should name her Jolene. And, you know, so it's kind of a cool story between Jolene and Reno and all that good stuff. So I get my point is, is I guess I got the love of Reno got planted early. But yeah, so I grew up here and kind of, you know, classic, great childhood, which I'm really thankful for. But the one thing that I didn't have going for me is I was always tired and it was definitely different than a lot of the other kids. And um, so my mom was always taking me to the doctor, et cetera. And I had a ton of sinus infections and won't go too much into detail in that. But, um, you know, something was definitely different about me than the other kids. I remember sitting on the playground and being like, why does everybody want to run around when all I want to do is just sleep? And I remember feeling that really like deeply uh, in fifth grade. 
the reason I share that is because I started to, I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't even remember how the connection happened. I don't know if something got said or whatever, but I remember starting to read labels. Um, I used to like to read like shampoo bottles and stuff as a kid and like figure out like what things were made out of. And maybe it was just like my love of cooking. When I was a kid, I used to like have friends over and we do these experiments without baking soda and like burn brownies into pans that I'd hide in my backyard <laughs> and that my parents would find like months later. So I've always loved food, I guess, right? And, and cooking. It. Um, and that I just remember kind of being curious about what makes up recipes and, you know, how that chemistry works, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly how, but I got into like label reading and I was like, what is hydrogenated fats? You know, why is soy in so many things like the rice aroni that I'm eating and like what's high fructose corn syrup? You know, just literally kind of super innocently curious about what those words even meant. But I discovered, you know, I didn't have Google or whatever, but that maybe the food was something that was actually causing my fatigue. And this was like when I was 12, right? So when I was 15, I did what any self-respecting person who cares about like saving the world does. And I became a vegetarian. And then I just started eating tons of like quesadillas with lettuce and ranch. <laughs> um, and I got even sicker. And it wasn't until I went away to college that my boyfriend at the time, he had been raised literally like off the land. Like I think I shared this story with you when we first met, but the coolest story I have from college is I used to be a big backpacker and a big uh, hiker. And we were on this 26 mile hike and basically he threw a rock up into the tree and hit a sage grouse and that's what we had for dinner and I don't know if it was because I was in love or because like I, you know that's a joke but it, it's it's literally like I started eating the food that he would make and his mom made him make meals every week and he literally had like a 30 by 30 foot garden where a lot of his food came from he was a hunter and ate deer and just super super holistic uh, living off the land like I said and whole food diet and that's how I started eating in college and I just felt like way better I started to like really make the connection like oh, okay food is definitely something that has like a huge uh, effect on me I ended up volunteering at our local co-op in Bozeman Montana where I went to school I got into photography. I went to a photography residency program in Maine. Um, and so I was, you know, not living in Reno at this time. And I ended up meeting a British guy. We dated long distance. I moved to England and I started to like not feel good again. And I was eating like a lot of fish and chips and like heavier foods. And I was working in the photography industry. I was, I was a, um, a, like worked at a really cool youth culture photo archive it was so all consuming, my fatigue and my just not feeling good that I basically like packed it in. I started, I ordered CSA boxes from like the local farm in, in North London. I remember getting raw milk. I remember just diving really deep into like what I could do to help myself. I was drinking oregano oil on an empty stomach every morning and just doing that whole process of like exploration. I went to a homeopath and I, I did start to feel better. And I, I was like, I'm really passionate about this. I was working with my partner at the time. And that was a little bit tricky. Um, my parents worked together. And I was like, I don't know if I want to go down this path. <laughs> so I quit my job. I enrolled in Hawthorne University's nutrition education program. And like, I haven't looked back. I started being like, super, super healthy, really conscientious of what I ate, etc. Moved back to Reno and brought my partner back here. And uh, his dad unfortunately had a heart attack and so he had to move, like go back to England for a few months and I was stuck and kind of stuck in Reno we had literally just gotten married and drove across the country for our honeymoon and I was like okay I gotta find it like a part-time job and the co-op was hiring and so I started as like the front-end coordinator and at the time Amber the current GM wanted to take a break and so I had had some management experience in London. I worked at a wellness center, which I absolutely loved because I was around a bunch of healthy people. And so, yeah, so then I became the GM of the co-op for the year that she took a break for. 
And that's really when it catapulted me into like local food, basically, and getting to know my farmer and understanding where food comes from and like the food politics and just kind of everything under the sun that's food focused. I'm telling you all this in detail, I guess, because that's my story from being home, raised in Reno, moving away and kind of going in and out of feeling super good and figuring out that food was definitely something that um, influenced my physical health and then figuring out how I could kind of make a living out of my food obsession. Mm -hmm. And then, so you worked at the, at the co-op and you managed the co-op, which has this big focus on local food and the local food shed. And I think that people don't always know how local their food is. You know, we have farmer's market, so that's a good way to know your farmer and to connect with farmer. And so you created Reno food week. And is the goal of that to, more to educate people about what local food is? Is it about connecting people with the local food sources? Is it education? To start, what is Reno Food Week? How does it work? And then what's the primary goal of it? Or what do you what do you hope people get out of it? Yeah, so um, great question. So I when I left the co-op, because I had had two kids at this point and knew that I didn't want to work nine to five or, you know, throughout the week and I wanted to kind of be at home with my kids. So I had had this like amazing local food experience. I knew that that was something that I wanted to continue to be relevant in. I became uh, a board member of Reno Food Systems, which is an urban farm, five acres within the city limits. And that like further accentuated my love of people and food and community and things. But my husband, you know, is pretty well traveled and he went to Ontario and had known that there was a local food week. And he's like, Hey, Jolene, I think that you can do this. I think that you have a good personality for like connecting people and making sure that there's um, promotion, like having a marketing, having a little bit of marketing experience and you should do your own like Reno local food week. Uh, and so I wrote a specialty crop grant to the Nevada Department of Agriculture. And that was three, it was actually four years ago because I did a feasibility study to see, to like research, to see if like Reno is ready for it. And it was like, Reno is ripe, you know, <laughs> part of the food pun, but it was, it was good timing. I got a lot of receptivity from the farmers who, whom I had like really healthy relationships with through working at the co-op and like that I literally would see every week at the farmer's market when I was buying their food that they were growing for me. And so it was just kind of a, a cool opportunity that just synced into like being able to be a stay at home mom, but still have some something to work on that kind of kept me sane and let me leave the kids every once in a while and then put on this, this week long celebration. So to answer your question, what kind of came first was the local food week, but what's happened actually is through my partnership with Reno food system. I also um, helped them put on Reno garlic fest. And that was a rad, super cool. Like people are crazy for garlic and I'm crazy for food. So like I met my people, you know what I mean? And and that was really rad. And it was a cool collaborative project that we did with Be the Change Project and Local Food Network. And the third year that we did it, which was the year before COVID in 2019, we had almost 5,000 people show up to Pat Baker Park, which is just off of Audi Boulevard. And it's not a huge park. (laughs) And it was, it was ram a jam. Like it was crazy. (laughs) You know, Um, we had local music, we had beer, we had garlic, um, cotton candy. And that was cool. It was a little bit overwhelming, if I'm honest. But the cool thing about it actually was that um, they had a really clear mission statement. And so did the co-op, frankly. And um, so then when we were going into COVID, I knew that we couldn't do the fest like we had planned, right? Like we couldn't gather 5,000, you know, thousands of people. But I knew that they had this mission statement. And so the mission statement is, you know, support local farms cultivate community and educate people. And so I was like, well, we did a really good job of supporting farmers. And so the first thing I was like, okay, I'm going to call every farmer and make sure that their garlic sales are okay. Cause they would depend upon us, right? They would make literally a thousand dollars selling 
their entire garlic harvest in one day. Mm -hmm. And that's so great for a farmer to have that consistency and that community and just a really fun time. But I called them and they're like, dude, 80% of America's garlic grows in China. So we're good. Like we, people are having problems getting China. We are sold like Prima Farms, for instance, said that they had been sold out. So it was an interesting supply chain question, you know, but the farmers were good. Like they had been taken care of. So then I was like, well, cultivating community is a little bit tricky. Like, how are we going to do that in COVID? So I literally just Googled community network education because I knew that that education piece was something that we hadn't been really that like strong on for the previous years. And uh, it was just a cool kind of like trusting the universe, the process experience, because there's a lot of bad things right for throughout COVID. But one of the silver linings for me was this awareness that if you're able to be nimble and pivot or and stay positive and stay connected to like the vision, then things can happen because I Googled this, you know, community education platform and this thing called Mighty Networks came up. And it's a social networking tool. It's a platform. There's an app. And it's like a website that basically thousands of people are creating communities under. And they have an event feature. They have groups. And they had courses um, all integrated into this platform for super cheap, like 90 bucks a month if you have a course, but only $20 a month if you just have groups. So I had the grant funds. I knew that I could do a scope of work modification and be able to do this garlic growing course. And the, the cool thing about the garlic fresh from the year before that I didn't mention is that it was on Facebook. We got into some weird like algorithm, like awesome algorithm, which, um, you know, if there is such a thing and we had 15,000 likes. Whoa. And so that's what we didn't have to spend $1 on marketing. And it was super multicultural. Loads of people came from literally the neighborhood, like they walked down there. And so it was just this rad, like really solid group of like positive people that had had this experience. And so I knew that I had these like 15,000 people that were disappointed that the event couldn't, you know, had to be like completely rescheduled or postponed or just didn't happen. Right. I like posted literally, like I put like three posts on Facebook because I'm not super good at social media. And I was like, Hey, we're going to do a garlic growing course. Like who wants to join us? Like, we're going to call it a year in garlic. I'm going to get a garlic farmer or garlic grower. Who's super passionate about this to like, take us through the process. And all we'll have to do is like do a monthly content where we like put together, Hey, this is what you have to do for garlic. And people can plug in, they can be part of this bigger process. We ended up getting like 250 people to join the course. And we worked with Katie Chandler from Be The Change. She loves garlic like loves it. It's like her soul food. And so that was super rad. And she was really, really good and really well received behind the camera. And she knows a lot, but she's also kind of humble. And and then we gave away free garlic to the participants who were part of the course. The cool thing was, is it was like this awesome success story. And I was like, wait a minute, I think that this community that I'm trying to foster that I like was a part of the arena garlic fest is larger than garlic. What if this platform, this tech tool that's super COVID friendly, right, is an avenue and a way to connect the larger food community who I know, but maybe not everybody knows. And I see, I kind of could see that people like get stuck a little bit in their silos and they get focused on their projects and then they get really busy. And then it's hard to like support each other, even though that's what we kind of all want. And it's hard to kind of ask for help farmers a little bit. I say if one of the things that's bad about them, they're a little prideful, you know? So I just was like me, oh, and I have this like local food week, which I called Growing Envy you know, which I had done two years prior. I'm like, what if I called this growing, literally like community food network, Growing Envy? We do a local food week and that's like how we celebrate the efforts that we do all year. You perfectly are capturing what Growing Envy is. It's an opportunity for education because there's so much um, opportunity for like resource sharing and just learning from each other. Two, for what you already said too, which is connection. I've just got finished reading this book called Community Cure, and it's this rad story about how people have incredibly more positive health outcomes if they do it in a group. And so that with me and my personal story about 
becoming healthier through eating and how hard it was. Like it literally took me 20 years to just do it on my own. Like I just felt like, man, I have an opportunity to lead by example and to cultivate this community of people who can have better health just by plugging into a community that cares, right? Like, and it's a community about food. It's a community about learning how to grow your food, learning how to cook your food and learning how to share food. So yeah, so it's about education. It's about connection to community and um, it's about celebration. What's life if you didn't have joy, right? And that's kind of the opportunity, like where Local Food Week so beautifully slots in is it's an opportunity to celebrate. I just feel like those three things are kind of lacking in our culture, right? Like we're super perfectionistic. The antidote to perfectionism is gratitude and appreciation. So instead of like needing to be the perfect farmer or needing to be the perfect person or whatever, what we kind of, an antidote to to that perfectionism is just focusing on what we have, appreciating what we have, being grateful for what we have. And so that's how I feel um, I can like offer that. And I'm very, I'm like a very positive person, like annoyingly positive, like ask anybody that knows me, well, maybe besides my husband. Um, but yeah, like I just, it's a, it's a talent of mine. I don't know if you've heard of the book strengths, like now we'll find your strengths, but I did all this like leadership training and reading when I was the GM and I did this like strengths finding work because it's really helpful in management to support people through what they're naturally good at because then they have the opportunity to do what they're they're good at what like naturally comes to them and so if you can focus on that and mitigate the things that they suck at Mm -hmm. you know it's way better so I learned about myself that I'm just super positive so it's very easy for me to think positive thoughts and to like say positive things yeah I think one of the challenges that I see around getting people involved in stuff like eating more healthy and participating in local food economy, stuff like that is just getting people to care. Like everyone is very busy. Everyone has so many different things going on in their lives. And then when there are things that we know we should care more about, like I know, and everyone knows I should eat better. I should eat more local food. There's all of these shoulds, but then how do you reach those people and make it easy for them? And I think something like a local food week that has the sense of, like you mentioned, like celebrating and enjoying and acknowledging all of the work that goes in year round and putting it into an event format that's a certain period of time. And that way people who maybe aren't actively participating normally, that's an entry point. That's a way for people who are disengaged to actually start participating. And we talked a lot about the the community aspect. And I think that is a huge part of it is there's this challenge of the individualistic approach to eating healthier or supporting local food, things like that. And it feels like there's so many ways to do it wrong. Like you can go, oh, I'm going to eat healthier. So I'm going to buy the organic thing at the grocery store. And then you read an article that says, oh, well, this is a giant mega corporation just branding something organic and you're you're not doing anything, you bum. And it's so it's really intimidating. But when there's this community element where you are actually connecting with people in your own town, who are telling you about local food right in the area, that makes it so much easier rather than trying to figure everything out on our own when there's so much conflicting information. Is that a big part of the the purpose of community is to make an easier inroad for people rather than putting it on them themselves to say, okay, well, it's hard for you to fix everything yourself as an individual, but what can we do together as like a small group of people? Is that the purpose of the community approach? Yes, like a hundred percent. So what a community, like a question that you could ask a community is what do we want to achieve together? And so what I'd like to achieve and what I think the people who are joining Growing Envy want to achieve is a more resilient local food system. 
I don't want to go too much into the weeds, but if we think about food as a system, that's a start. It isn't just like go to the grocery store, right? Like somebody produced that food, somebody picked the food, you know, somebody drove the food, somebody delivered the food. A lot of times somebody else cooked the food. And then like waste management, right? Like it's a whole crazy system. And in one way that can seem overwhelming, but in another way it can be like, wow, like this is super intricate and super like not about me. To answer your kind of question about feeling overwhelmed or just the individual and not, and maybe you get like the shoulds, like you should eat better. What I kind of like to tell people is like, go with what you love, you know, like, what do you like about food? You know, do you like restaurants? Do you like whatever? And then plug into that. Cause it's not about like trying to make somebody feel bad for what they're not right. Community is all about finding what you're good at and allowing opportunity for you to plug in with that beautiful thing that you have that the community needs. I think that it's just like such a different mind shift. I've been doing a lot of work about the patriarchy and reading a bunch of books about community because I am doing this work and I don't want to trigger anybody. Like I talked to a male friend of mine at the farmer's market last week and he's like, I find the word patriarchy triggering. And it was cool that he was like, he had the language to say that, you know, and I appreciated that. So I'm very cognizant of not wanting to alienate anybody because that's actually the opposite of what I want to do. I want everybody to feel like super safe and super like um, in a place where they can feel like they can speak their mind and they'll be heard and respected, but we can be real with each other. It doesn't have to be like light and fluffy, um, but that we're in like a, a place where we can like grow together and be receptive and open, et cetera. So, but I, I have been doing this patriarchy work and I can't help but mention that like, this is where a lot of my framework is coming from because I am so passionate about community. It is an antidote to the individualism that patriarchy is so um, is, is so prominent in our culture. And there's nothing wrong with patriarchy, right? It's, a, it's like a dualistic thing, you know? It's just that I feel like, and I think, you know, we could argue that our society and our culture has swung too far in that direction. I think the unhealth of our population is a sign of that. I think the stress, I think mental health, I think, um, like I was mentioning, the perfectionism, and I think maybe at the root of it is the connection piece. You know, we're disconnected from our food. We're disconnected from our from other people, from relationship. And not to be too dire, it's just like a framework that helps me kind of be able to operate and understand why I'm so passionate about this work. And so, yeah, so community is that, that antidotal piece to the individual. And so that's the number one thing that I want to like celebrate and foster um, within that community. It's like you show up and you have to be accountable, you know, so you want to be healthier. Right. And you, I don't want people to feel judged. Like I think there's a lot of elitism in local food and I don't know how it is in other cities or whatever, but it feels like that way here, like people need a friend to go to the co-op you know, to like feel comfortable. And it's nothing like bad about the co-op. It's just that I've literally heard those things. And that in and of itself makes me feel like sad and that maybe we as a community as a local food thing is making people feel like they're not good enough like they're not doing it good mm -hmm. enough and there therein lies like what I think is like the cultural perception like that you can do something perfect or that you can do something right and I think when you're in community it's a process right like it's been a journey we're never you're never there it's never right or wrong it's like learning you know and when you can do that in a vulnerable space and a place where you feel like you can be transparent it's just, it cultivates a vibe or something that allows for people to feel like they can really plug in and offer something, like I said, to the community that it needs. There's this focus, and I know this is also built into the way our economic systems work, on efficiency, on what is the fastest, most efficient, most productive way to do things. And I don't know if it's true or not, but you get this sense that local food and urban gardens and these kind of things 
are at odds with the concept of efficiency and productivity, which we're raised our entire lives to think is the only and the best way to do things in like a capitalist society is how do you produce, produce, produce? How do you make things more efficient? There's no focus on worrying about waste and the, you know, the external costs of these things. And that's one of the huge problems is you grow, grow, grow. Everything's focused on efficiency and pushing your trash and waste and external costs onto other people or other countries or onto the planet. And then you talk about local food and local food production and whether it's true or not, that goes against everything that we're taught about how scalable are these things? How can we actually produce enough to feed people? Is there, is that totally wrong? Like, is there a local food system? Does that work? Is that something that doesn't need to be at odds with actual productivity and efficiency and meeting the needs of people who have to eat? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think that's a fascinating and kind of brave thing to think. When we make things have certain key objectives and things that need to be measured like money. And I mean, obviously, you know, it's hard to operate, right? right? Like we don't even know how to do that. So I'm in, I'm in this like odds with like trying to figure out how we do this. Like I don't have the answer, right? I have no answers. I'm just like vulnerable and brave enough to be like, hey, I'm showing up. This is what I want. Who wants to join me? You know? So, but I, I think that it, it again is the mindset and the paradigm awareness of, well, when you're always measuring things to numbers and to growth and to GDP you know, into finances. Like we struggle with the same thing at Reno Food System. It's like every year we're like trying to make more money and grow bigger, but every year we're like, you know, and I, I don't even, I'm not even the farmer. It feels str- like it feels hard. You know what I mean? Because those are the things that we are trying to achieve as opposed to if we change this conversation to something like, what are our values? You know, are we achieving what um, those mm-hmm. things, you know, are we showing up integ- in, with integrity? Are we stewards of the land? Are we taking time to, you know, to like drink water? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and be more efficient in that way. And I think that's actually that kind of dovetails a little bit to what you were speaking of with local food is that it can be perceived as more expensive too, because it isn't as efficient as industrial ag. And, and then frankly, there's not the commodity, you know, what's the crutch or whatever that a lot of the other cheaper, more processed fast food, et cetera, have from. Right. Yeah. They're, they're all built on like subsidized corn that goes into corn syrup that goes into everything and that kind of thing. And I didn't mean to frame it as that the efficiency is the goal or that, that enhanced productivity is the, the right answer. But I think that for a lot of people that, that have lived their entire lives thinking that is the goal and that's the most important thing that breaking out of that mindset to maybe being ultimately efficient is not the goal at the end of the day. If the cost of that is poor quality food and bad health and destruction to the environment. So the thing that I always kind of wonder about is what, like, what can we take from the, maybe not like the large scale industrial farming, but we've, you know, had so much advancement in technology and learned so much about how to produce food that has been maybe misutilized to create these global food systems that have a lot of damaging effects. Mm -hmm. Have we learned things from these systems that can be applied at the local level to kind of, I don't want to say meet somewhere in the middle, but basically take the tools from the, you know, systems with a lot of problems and apply those tools in a local way to maybe have, you know, better crop yields or whatever, but locally and see those benefits realized at the local level with less of the, you know, outside damaging effects of the huge scale of, you know, big ag as it is right now. 
Yeah. And I, again, I think that's a fascinating question and I don't exactly have the answer to it. I do think that like the unchecked patriarchy, I do think we've swung in too far of the direction of dependency on industrial ag and on large scale farming productions and to the, to the deficit and decimation of local farms. So there's so much work to be done to even write that percentage and to get back to producing more locally that I feel like maybe the lesson is that it's not necessarily super specific in terms of like the tech tools or whatever like that, but it's just the awareness that the way that we're doing it is not serving the overall health of the the outputs of the system, you know, and we didn't know that until we pushed it. Like, I think that I'm not super pessimistic. I don't want to believe, right, whether it's right or wrong, that we like purposely do stuff to the detriment of our being and our planet, et cetera, right? It's just a different way of thinking about it. And it's like an earnest, like, hey, I want to figure this out. If this can feed more people, let's do, you know what I mean? But then when you do something and you continually do it and it continually, like there's outputs that are negative, that's when I feel like we need to like wake up and be like, hey, we're getting a lot of (laughs) concrete information saying that this maybe Mm -hmm. isn't the way to do it. And that's kind of where I see where we have an opportunity to do the opposite, which is why I am so passionate about local food systems because it was such a, part of my healing journey that that's where I mean, I mean, I ate like tote, like heavy industrial ag food. I, I remember going to Burger King every week and being like, am I going to have the French chicken sandwich or am I going to have the Texas barbecue chicken sandwich? Maybe next week I will have the Italian, like I, my fast food roots like run deep. And it's literally taken until like last year for me to like rid myself of those cravings and things literally because I think that that like cellular memory or something still in my body I've just personally been so inspired and my life has been so positively impacted from having the opportunity to educate myself and having the finances and the privileges to be able to afford time to go to the farmer's market to be able to spend my money on local dollars because I I make a conscious effort you know, to spend my money locally, but I, I go to Costco too, you know what I mean? And I know the difference and it's hard sometimes, you know, I would like to mention that I have my parents, they're older and stuff, but I make meals for them. Every sing- I make them every single dinner and they pay me a little bit of money. And so I'm afforded the time you know, and it suits me. I love it. I'm super passionate about it. I still to this day, like read every single label, you know, I still to this day, like try to figure out the price point. I have a humongous spreadsheet where I enter every single thing and I'm super informed about how much things cost, et cetera. And so I am, I'm very aware of that, but I also see it as an intense passion and an ability where I have the opportunity to spend a ton of my time learning this information and then being able to, um, I have the, the opportunity to to use my, my money in this way, you know, cause I have a house and cause, you know, cause I I'm white middle-class or whatever that is. Right. So I'm very aware of my place in the system. And I see myself as not even necessarily a leader, but somebody that has done a lot of work and that like is inspired, but still curious and wants to share and wants to educate. So I guess my question to you is it's like, since I don't work in industrial ag and since I don't know a lot about those things and I I know more about like my personal story and I know more about my local food system. And so I don't feel like I have a good answer as to like what we can take from those industrial ag systems and more, I have it more like of a personal offering of what I've experienced by being able to plug into this community, you know? And I, I would like to mention that I do like coffee and I have two small girls. A day doesn't go by where I don't have 
bananas. And so I don't want to like bastardize those things or make them seem like they're wrong because people are living on those trees and that's what how they their families subsist. Is there's a way for me to do like fair trade and to make sure that those are organically grown and whatever those are my values and that's what I believe in and I I want to foster and support those things. But I it's it's not like I eat 100% local. Very I, I don't even know the percentage, frankly, but it's not like it's not possible. And so I just see it as an opportunity to, like you said, maybe take the good. And, and figure out how to like accentuate the both. I do want to kind of plug uh, or like just mention that I've been kind of developing a closer relationship with Kelly Kelly. She's the executive director at the Fallon Food Hub. We had this really fascinating conversation because I'm doing this event for local food week called Multiplier Effect Monday. And it's all about how like your local dollars really positively impact um, your community for, you know, the environmental benefits, economic benefits and uh, health benefits. And this is specific to local food, I guess I should say. But the multiplier effect is beyond just food. Like it's basically if you just support local people, then 1.7 times the amount of money that you spend goes back into local economies, whereas it's like a third, maybe even a fifth. I'm sorry, I don't have that number to my mind. It's it's just a cool concept. And it's a it's a thing for me to stay inspired to support my local person when it is more expensive and it is more inconvenient, etc. But she she threw these numbers down. And I just feel like it's so fascinating. I can't shake it. So I want to share it because I feel like it's um, topical. So basically, she has about 200 people who spend $40 a week on a CSA box. Those 200 people, right, you times that by 40, that's eight grand. From those 200 people, she's literally financially supporting four or five farmers. So those four or five farmers are each making $1,500 to $2,000 a week, which sounds like a lot, right? But like, it's only seasonal and it's, you know, you still have all the time producing the seed, right? Like, you know, fostering the plants, watering the plants, you know, so it's not all gross profit, if you will. But I I did the math and I was like, okay, so very simplistically, if you divide those 200 people by five, that's 40 people. So 40 people support one farm. Like our actions hella Mm -hmm. matter. You know what I mean? Like that is so beautiful. And that's 40, that's 40 people spending $40, which that's, that's not nothing. That's kind of a lot of money. You know, some people can't afford to spend that on fruits and veg, you know, let alone, you know, locally grown or whatever, organic, et cetera. But then it kind of got me thinking like, every dollar that we can spend locally matters, you know? So say like the 40 people, it's 40 bucks. You, you, just to do the math, you know, what if 80 people were spending 20 bucks? What if 160 were spending 10? What if 320 spent $5 and just bought a bunch of carrots? Like if 300 people buy one bunch of locally grown carrots a week for the season, that you are supporting a farmer. I, I don't know if that like gives anybody else the goosebumps, but for me, it's just so it's so helpful to have those numbers to make me feel like what I do matters, you know? And my point is also, you don't have to buy kale, collards, kohlrabi, you know, you don't have to buy like everything local. Like if you go to your farmer's market more than once a season, you're doing better than the average person. And not that it's a competition, but it's like a, it's a point of inspiration. Like go twice, bring a friend. You are literally helping foster somebody. And like farmers are the coolest people. Like they're like the biggest badasses, you know, it's so hard to grow food and we just get it so easily. It's easy to not appreciate it. But when you meet farmers, when you see their hands, when you know that they've been working like you know, 27 days in a row or whatever. I just, I can't help but be inspired to drop five bucks on those carrots that are so beautiful, so delicious, so fresh, and just such a part, like a smaller part, a smaller seed, right? Of such a larger, beautiful tree, you know? Yeah, no, I think that this idea of perfectionism that you have to do it all or nothing, or you have to do everything right, or why bother? That's something that affects me a lot 
personally. It's something that I definitely struggle with because there is this notion that, you know, if you're not vegan, then you're contributing to the global warming and like everything has to be, or it doesn't have to be, but you get this idea that it's all giant lifestyle changes. If you want to be better, Mm -hmm. you have to completely upend the way that you do things. And that's not actually the reality. There are these small actions that like you just described, make a financial difference in the community for these farms, for these farmers, is the activities that are part of Reno Food Week, are those intended to give people small ways to have that impact? Is that the idea that someone who might not be might not be vegan, might not be buying all, you know, local organic produce, might not be even that aware of local food stuff, but they have these little inroads that are, you know, simple actions they can take that are actually helping these farmers. And is is Reno Food Week intended to give those local farms and organizations a way to reach people? Is that a big part of what the Food Week is about? Is like how do you how do you get to people? Because we're all again, we're all yeah. busy, we're all living our lives. Everyone is very I think set in routines and like the way that we live and the way that we eat are so habitual and so ingrained in the way that we live is part of Reno food week, just an attempt to, to break through that, to be like, Hey, wake up and like, come do a food thing. That's different that you're not used to just to kind of spark that, that open-mindedness to other ways of eating. Yeah. I kind of think I see it as like, I'm super conscientious of like the systems of things. Right. Cause I feel like if you get to the root cause, you know, or if you get to like one wrench within that system and you, you make a positive impact, then it has positive beneficial knock on mm-hmm. effects. Right. So when I planned the local food week for, for one, I, I had a rad group of women, all volunteers, we called ourselves the local food lovers committee. We'd meet every single week and we got together and brainstormed. We did like the sticky brain dump where it's like no ideas too big. They helped me every single week come together and foster my confidence and help with just like posting events on Go Green locally, just, you know, whatever. So the point is, is I kind of tried to make it a group effort to begin with. And then I tried to think about it as a system, like, okay, how can we promote our, our growers? How do we promote the restauranteurs? How do we promote, how do, how do you cook? Right. And then I also tried to, cause because of COVID, frankly, I learned that not everything has to be in person. And that when we did do stuff online, you know, maybe 10 people would show up live. And so that was a little disappointing when I had like the Facebook whatever I'd have like, you know, a hundred people say they were going, it doesn't matter because then after the fact, people would watch it in the comfort of their own home. And I would, I got like, you know, 600 views on the urban roots, how to make sprouts in a jar, you know, and talk about a way to like financially and helpfully benefit yourself. It's like, learn how to sprout. Like it's super affordable once you get into the system and into the routine, you know, incredibly nutrient dense, incredibly environmentally friendly with all of those things in mind, you know, I'm always thinking about one, the system and then two, meeting people with where they're at. I mean, I I was kind of like that's kind of a lane saying I don't know if it gets over it's overused but I it's the, the intention that I come from is like I'm not judging anybody I to be honest I don't even really like going to events <laughs> so like I'm very cognizant of like needing somebody needing someone else to do something to add to their already like super time crunched thing you know so my point is is I try to like create different uh, different types of events different workshops that are all within those systems and that are all different ways to plug in I try I'm giving away a bunch of free food there's a bunch of demos and 
Um, we're doing like this participatory pledge where folks can literally just go to a Google form and be like, hey, I really want to divest um, some of my food dollars into the local economy, local food economy. And I have like a page on the website that shares with, you know, shares with everybody different ways to do that, whether it's donating to a small local nonprofit, whether it's volunteering your time, whether it's educating yourself and going to an online workshop about how to make stock. I kind of pride myself on my challenge to myself to provide like a really wide umbrella to cast that net as far and wide as possible. So as many people feel like it's accessible, you know, like it's totally doable, like it's fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that maybe something speaks to them. You know, I don't need everybody to care about food as much as me. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I am like so excited that I found my thing and I want to inspire people, but not everybody is as much into food as I am. But if I can spark a little bit of curiosity or a little bit of interest or just like somebody feeling super good because they ate really healthy that day, that is what it's all about for me, you know? So yeah, absolutely. The local food week, I hope. And if it's not, then like, give me feedback you know, tell me other ways to be doing it, you know, because I mean, it's only in its third iteration. And last year was COVID. So we kind of had to like flip the script and do a bunch of stuff, mostly virtual in, in quotes. So um, yeah, so I'm like open ears, and I love learning and I love figuring out how to do things better. And I love community. So come on down to my little local food community committee. Tell me what's up. Tell me how else I could be doing it better. You know? Yeah, no, that's great. I think that this idea of being able to grow and change and improve things as they go, especially Reno Food Week. You said it's only in its third year, plenty of opportunity to adapt and make it better and better and include more people and more ways of participating year after year. To talk about Reno specifically, so you moved back here and you've been involved in the local food scene. Reno's a pretty big city, you know, like the the Reno metro area is what, 400 and something thousand people. What is it like here? I know that it's it's high desert, so there's things that grow and things yeah. that don't grow. What might people not understand about the Reno Food Shed? Do you find that a community this size and with this particular kind of uh, ecological environment create a good opportunity for a local food system? What have you seen in in recent years? Are we getting better? How are these local farms performing? Uh, what's the... What's your general read on Reno as a good potential for local food systems that work? How's it going? And what do you see as opportunities? Kind of what's the, what's the big picture on Reno as a food city? Uh, Thanks for asking. I love that. Um, I want to go back to the Fallon food hub thing. So 200 people is 1% of Fallon's population. So that's like a very small number of people who are doing it. And, and it, like my point is, is that there's such a huge opportunity to grow that number, I mean, even just double it, right? And then Kelly Kelly is feeling super crazy stressed. But so my point is, is like the potential is huge here. I think to talk about the gripes just really quickly, because I don't, I don't like vibe on that, but it, there's two things. I think our soil is not super good. I mean, it's great for producing cantaloupes, right? It's super alkaline, like think, think Black Rock Desert here, you know? So there's, there can be that trouble. And then two, water, you know, it's like, duh, we're one, I think we're the driest state in the union, right? And it's, who knows what's going to happen in the future, but there's a lot of information saying that it might get worse. And so I think that those are two things that are like very real challenges that we all want to be like aware of and just communicate ahead of time to be like, okay, these, these are issues. How are we going to work around that? How are we going to mitigate that, et cetera? The other part of it where what I like the pulse check of the community, you know, cause I'm pretty plugged in. I think the thing that I'm this is going to come as no surprise, but that I'm super excited about is that I feel like part of a community. Like I go to this Riverside Farmer's Market on Thursday and I will literally run into like almost all of my friends. 
And we'll have a bit of a natter. It's a British term for a chat. We'll have some strawberries, you know, that are grown from a farm like 60 miles away. And to me, it's a good time, right? But so the, the point is, is that I definitely see like a fostering of relationship. And I, it's like that quote, you know, what's going to change the world? It's a small group of committed people. And I like really, really am like the living flesh of knowing that that exists in Reno. And that excites me tremendously. So there's that. And then I do think that we need more farmers. I don't even know the numbers about how much what percentage of people, uh, like the local food economy here, you know, and I I think that there's probably resources. I kind of did some loose math in my mind, but it might be like 50 grand a week. And it's, it's less than five, three, you know, three to 5% of like an overall food dollar. So my point is, is that there's huge room for growth. And if you do those numbers from the Fallon food hub, I mean, we literally could be supporting like hundreds of farms. If we had access to land, that's another issue I guess I should have said. Hmm. So it's getting crazy expensive. But there's there's nimble ways to do that too. So Reno Food Systems, we lease it from the county. And that's been a really beautiful, positive relationship because it's like civic engagement, right? Uh, and that's how, that, that's a 20 acre parcel of land. And five acres is a lot of land, you know, like you can produce a lot of food on that. And the, another experience I've had with Reno Food Systems is every week, it kind of has tailed off recently, but two to three people were getting in touch each week wanting to participate in their local food system, whether it be volunteer, you know, ship or some offering like free ducks or like needing a job or wanting to become a farmer. So to me, I see people who are wanting to plug in. I know Desert Farming Initiative is interested in pr- like creating a certification within the university. I know they had a ton of interest on one of the programs that she's doing. So I think that there's people who are interested. I think figuring out how to do it financially is, a, is obviously a super important piece. Mm-hmm. I think there's opportunities within the community to cultivate relationships so that they have support and they can figure out, okay, which restaurants are consistent, you know, what bartenders, Michael Moberly is doing his part to like help us out with that. Uh, He's a rad Renoite and I listened to your podcast on him and he's such a sweetie. I do feel like there is a lot of possibility and that's the thing that I like to focus on and talk about. And I don't know how much like problem solving and like, what are the, you know what I mean? Like that to me, I don't think is the focus on what we need to do in the local food community. I think that we have an opportunity to gather and to figure out like what we want to do and what is possible and to go after it. And that's kind of why I'm cultivating this, this growing MV platform is because I feel like the more people who have their eyes on the prize and the more energy, um, you know, the better. I mean, my, my sister's the farmer's market manager of the Sparks farmer's market. And there's been two new farms that have joined this year. And that's rad. So like Latin farms, basically, they they pulled out because they're kind of slowly easing into retirement. And he was one of the larger medium sized farms. Mm-hmm. But then you have First Fruits, which is a regenerative farm just down the street. And he's coming on board and he's been doing I mean, he does a crazy amount of markets each week. And we have there's two more homesteading farms and two more urban farms that have joined. So uh, it's not like overwhelming the amount of food production that we have. I want to honor and I celebrate what we do have, right? You know what I mean? So I want to be sure that that's heard, but I also think that there's a lot of room for growth. I think the cost piece, the inconvenience piece, and the fact that restaurants are not in like a great space to be able to be, you know, super nimble about what farmers have, you know, I mean, Mark Estes, like the champion of all those things, but he's kind of a special breed and I wish there were more of them, frankly. That's kind of, I think, something that can be fostered. I I don't know how many restaurants have the time and capacity and interest in plugging into the local food scene. Mm -hmm. So that's some place where I I feel like there can be more community built. Yeah, that is something that I wanted to ask you about is the restaurant's role in introducing people to local food. Because I know that Reno has experienced kind of this renaissance in our restaurant industry in recent years, and there's much more... I think local food or maybe not local food, but just more interesting food and local restaurants that are 
changing the way that people eat in Reno. Like you mentioned, Mark Esty, I think, was kind of the real driver of this over the last mm-hmm. 10 years or so with his restaurants. And I think we talked about this the other day where there needs to be people who are willing to to put the money in and open restaurants and and bring these things to people and put it right in front of people. So you need some big moves here and there from the the consumer side rather than just the producer side is eating local at restaurants and finding restaurants that have local food. Is that a big part of introducing people to local food or making it more accessible? Are local restaurants doing their part on this? Could they be doing better? What is Reno's like local food connection to the Reno's restaurant scene look like? And is there good opportunity there for more connection? Are they involved in like the, the local food week? Yeah. So the way that I promote the restaurants through local food week is I basically buy gift cards from them and then we do like social media shares. So if you participate in the pledge, then you get entered to win into like this, like, you know, from the cheese board or from the co-op or from Liberty or from Tolly. So, I mean, there is from what I understand, and I want to just be like clear that I am not like the end all be all of all things local food and restaurants, you know what I mean? So I don't know. So I, I almost want to give the local restaurants the opportunity to present their way of thinking, like, you know, what like kind of their challenges are and stuff. But in my very humble opinion, I don't think that, that it is as robust as it could be. And I think that what Mark Esty has done, he's a, he's made it like a brand and he and it's his, his, his belief system. And so it's super integral to what he does and it's just how he is. And so that's, that's that and that's rad. And not everyone's like that. And that's totally okay. But I think that there's a lot of barriers to entry. It's like farmers, the farmers that we have don't necessarily aren't able to provide consistency. We are a very seasonal place. We're not like California. We're not like Sacramento where like you can get a ton of stuff for 10 months. You know, it's very seasonally dependent. Sometimes consistency is off with farmers. There's a huge education component about like sometimes chefs are super picky and, you know, and then the farmers don't have it and then they don't get the consistency that they can get from Bonanza or US foods, right? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So there, there's, I think there are a lot of barriers basically that make it super tricky for restaurants to do it. But one thing I would say that is a little bit of a gripe is that I do think that there's like greenwashing, which is a term in the local food scene where people say that they do more than they actually do. Mm. I don't, I I wouldn't like ever make somebody feel bad or whatever, right? Like that's not my jam, but I do think that like, it's a fine line between being honest about what you're doing and then what you're promoting. And I think local is super attractive and has a hot you know, hot vibe right now. But oh, for, actually... for sure. I think it's, it's become kind of uh, as much a as much a marketing term as an actual yes. descriptor of the food, right? That I do think that like maybe the people who are marketing savvy enough to know that they can use the word and that it sounds good and that like the average consumer isn't going to dig deep and not like check what they're using and oh, where's the spinach come from? And maybe people don't even really care about that. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it is like a weird thing. And I don't think that Reno has it figured out yet. And I, for like the host of reasons why I've just said, but again, in my mind, like the positivity part is like, that's where we have room to grow. And I do think that there's a lot of creativity and there's a lot of guts in Reno and bravery. And I think that it just takes people creating and fostering the systems like like Fallon Food Hub. I mean, they are doing these CSA boxes and Tahoe Food Hub does a lot of wholesale accounts and they're super rad and they're growing really fast and doing their thing, you know? So it's, it's fostering the community and figuring out what their strengths are and what they're good at and then figuring out how they can, you know, how you can help them succeed. That's, I guess, a a nod to the local food week is we're doing this little video about the multiplier effect and it's going to be, you know, in promotion of the Fallon Food Hub and the Tahoe Food Hub. Realizing how important these things are and how important they are for the livelihood of farmers and how important they are for the local economy and the local environment and all the good things that local food does. Um, And so that's a way that I can promote them. And I know Tahoe Food Hub does a lot of stuff with restaurants. So 
it's like leaving people to do their thing and what they're good at, and then just promoting the good work that they do. But I think that it's about figuring out what you're passionate about and how to find the other people or what you're curious about. Like, I mean, like, frankly, you've arrived at me just through your curiosity. You know what I mean? Like that in of itself shows personal development and shows your, you know, what you're good at is allowing you to learn about all this thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you can go to the Riverside Farmers Market super easily. Like just start doing that, frankly. Like if there's one bit of advice I have for anybody who feels daunted over like the eating healthier or the local food scene, it's like literally just show up at your farmer's market and try to spend like 20 bucks. Like that's the best thing that you can do. Super easy. And you can't help but like feel good because I don't know, I was at, it's like National Farmer's Market Week. And, and so I helped my sister at her market yesterday. And it was like really beautiful. It's like it's senior market. There's loads of older people and they're so sweet. They're like, oh, we love this market. We're here every week. I don't know. My heart just grew. It was just like a beautiful experience. Humans like to be around other well-meaning humans and stuff. So that's what the farmer's market offers is it just offers an opportunity for that reconnection to the food. And that, again, is what I think is like what we're severely lacking. And we frankly are so disconnected that we don't even know how disconnected we are. So if there's any ability for like connection, that's the magic. I like that this focus is all about community for you, because I do think that is really the answer to this thing. And you said the one thing you can do is go to the farmer's market. And part of the appeal for me of going to the farmer's market is that it does, in addition to having all of this local food and feeling like you're supporting the local food economy, it is a gathering of people from your neighborhood or from your community. I love to see that. And that, I think, makes everything feel much more accessible and much more much more real. I think for people who have not been involved in eating a lot of local food or who like who don't care because a lot of people just don't care. They go to the grocery store and they buy what that's at the grocery store and they don't think about it very much. But to go and see kind of this parallel of people in the community who are mm-hmm. buying this local food and meeting these farmers where they're at and having these direct connections, I think that this is bigger than just food. I think that we're missing a 100%. sense of community. Yes. I, uh, we're talking about it in a food context, but I think generally in almost everything that we do, we have been driven apart from each other. Social media is not actually connection with people. We're entirely online. And like COVID is another example of this. Of we spent an entire year connecting electronically. And I do appreciate like the Zoom and the video chat thing as a better form of connection than just texting each other all the time, things like that. But generally, I think that we're a kind of disconnected society and the community aspect of something specifically like a farmer's market gives this sense of, oh, there is a real community in person where we're engaging. And it, it's also it's commercial. It's you're shopping, you're spending yes. money. And I think that a lot of people have this idea of community as completely separate from markets and the economy and capitalism and exchange and all of that kind of stuff. When those things can go together, like we do have to shop, we do have to spend money. So we can do that in a smaller, more community minded and focused way. You don't have to join a hippie commune to <laughs> to find a sense uh. of community, right? You can do that at a place where you're shopping, where you're spending money, where you're buying your food. So I think that that community aspect is really a key that we're missing. And having that tied in with your food, with the things that you eat, the things that are nourishing your body seems like a a really natural connection to strengthen both of those things, both the way that we eat and the economic support for our food producers and our kind of missing sense of being with with people in community. 
Um, you, you've got it, Connor. I figured you've it exactly out. Exactly encapsulated and distilled and felt the things that I'd like to, you know, yeah. <laughs> translate into this podcast. But yes, a hundred percent. Like I care. I mean, not to prioritize it or it's not hierarchical by any sense of the imagination, but I care about community first and foremost. And I think that's because I also care about myself and because I want myself to be healthy. And I know that like, I'm a mom, dude, moms, it's so hard. And you realize the deficiency in community when you're a mom, and especially during COVID, that was crazy. That actually has been another like fire in my, my butt to, to help me realize the importance of this thing. Cause when I go and hang out with a friend and she has two kids and my two kids are hanging out with her two kids and we get to talk about like what, you know, I don't know, I hang out with a lot of people who like food. So it's like, we hate, what'd you have for breakfast or whatever? Like literally those are our fun conversations. Mm. The sense of well being and peace that I have is so amazing. And that's community, that relationship, that ability to like have your kids have the interactions with other kids, right? Cause kids need to be with kids. They play and they do the same thing over and over and over again. You know, that's tiring for an adult mind. Like, literally physiologically like it's harder on an adult mind to do the same thing over and over again once I became a mom I was just like this isn't right this does not feel good I am angry you know what I mean and I don't want to be angry mommy I want to be rad mom you know like I have so much potential to be like a great mom you know and I I realized that it was because I wasn't living in community and like you said i even though I probably could go and live in a hippie commune I don't think my husband probably wouldn't be down for that so I got to kind of operate in, within the means but it's, it's a yin yang thing you know, it's just the fact that I feel like we're so far in the other direction of community that that's like the number one thing that we need to foster. And that when you show up with other people and you're vulnerable and you're just transparent about what you ate, what you didn't eat or how you accidentally yelled at your kids and you feel bad, you, you feel better. And it, it's literally just human nature, you know, and it's basics and it's foundational. Yeah. And so that's why I'm kind of fired up about this growing envy thing is because I feel like I'm providing something that we as a, as a society, we as Reno need. Yeah. Tell me more about the, so the Growing Envy platform. So there's this mighty network. Yeah. And I, I talk a lot about social media and I have all my general oppositions to the way that it works, but it sounds me like too. this is very different than the large scale social media model because it's not algorithmic in order to capitalize on your attention and insert ads yeah. and those kind of things. Is it all about not just farming, but like food in general, right? So it's not just for Reno Food Week. It's no, no, not at all. It's actually not even for food. It's just for community building. Oh, okay. It's a social media platform, but there's no ads or algorithms. And I think that's super important because I just watched the social network and that like super, that scared me, you know what I mean? Because it kind of exactly pinpointed what I intuitively felt that like I didn't feel, I don't feel good after I leave social media, you know? And, I, and there's a lot of benefits, like you said, the connection and having everybody at, at one place, et cetera. What I'm hoping is that this Mighty Network, this growing envy on this Mighty Network platform can be something really authentic and can be an opportunity for people to connect, to get educated and to celebrate. And I feel like hopefully people leave energized, not depleted. They're not comparing themselves because they're in an environment where it's, it's not like that. You know, it's not mm -hmm. who's winning. It's not a competition. It's not like, look at me. It's like, what are we trying to achieve together? And I think that that together piece is like literally the missing point in social media because social media is so egoic mm -hmm. and so focused on the individual. That's the piece. Like that's kind of goes back to that patriarchal concept of like, that's the missing crux of it is that there isn't the opportunity. And I say this because there are, there is opportunity to plug in and help people and support and all that other stuff, you know? But I think that this growing envy that I'm thing that I'm trying to create, it's a tool 
you know, and, and I do, I'm working with DFI. We got a grant together where we're going to build a farm network on it and create like a farm network group. So it's going to be resource and information for farmers. But one of the like critical pieces is that we're going to have farmer forums and we're going to get together and we're going to gather, you know, and we're going to foster relationship and then people are going to know each other and know how people are like and what people are interested in and passionate about and what they're experts in or maybe where they need help. And then go back to the online network and be like, okay, this is organized. It's a resource. It's information. It's a place to plug in. I got a question. I got a need. Mm-hmm. Hey, I can help out, you know? And so it's this, it's the duality and the beautiful part, right. Of like using the tools, like you were saying, like the food system, like what are the, what are the benefits of the large scale industrial ag? Well, this right. is, a, this is something that maybe is that like, you know, leveraging the best parts of globalization and of these tech tools, but then bringing it home locally. And I think it's because it's that connection piece that matters. It's being able to plug in and feel connected. And I think that that kind of needs to happen locally in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that, and that, so it just perfectly ties into local, local food for me, you know, cause, cause of my food obsession. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think there's something to that. And I've always tried to figure out how to like misuse social media in a way that yeah. it will work better. <laughs> That's always been uh. one of my goals is, okay, People use Facebook for this, but how can I use it for that instead that is better, that's more effective yeah. Um, yeah. and kind of like undermines the the negative aspects of some of these platforms. Like if Twitter is too reactive and it's these short, nuance-free tweets, then, you know, use Twitter, but post long-form videos on it. Basically, like use the platform in a way that is unexpected and that takes the best parts of it and sets aside the bad parts of it. I feel like podcasting is a good example of that, of it's a technology that's built to have this huge reach. Like it's built on the idea of building a huge audience, like everything on the internet is how many viewers can you get? How, how big can you be? But the technology is not necessarily exclusive for this large scale idea you can have, you know, we have local radio, we have local news, things that are um, built to be big can be kind of co-opted and used in a more local way. And I think for social media, I don't think social media is inherently a bad thing. I think it's a bad thing when it is this giant global system of people trying to compete individually for the most attention for themselves. But the potential of social media as a way to connect people is actually something really valuable. So seeing that kind of adapted to a local model and not just specifically around food, but allowing people who have overlapping interests or things that they're passionate about to connect with each other in a way that is not competitive and focused on on marketing and advertising and presentation and that kind yeah. of stuff. Add, add dollars, if you will. Yeah. Right? So like that's the bottom line of, of Facebook, right? And that's why it's become, I think, what it's become. So the the Growing Envy, it's, it's a free platform for one. And then two, there's no ability to like put an ad in there or to get you to want to see something or to not see anything. Like the user has a choice, what they click, who they, who they follow. I mean, there's also a learning curve that I'm kind of like, oh no, I'm going to have to teach these like 500 people how to use this, you know, <laughs> and I'm still learning myself because um, it is different than Facebook. 
but I think that the, like I was saying earlier, it isn't going to be measured. Like the success of it isn't even measured in the amount of people. I can have five people on there and I'd be stoked if each of the five people showed up in my weekly meeting, like my local food committee that helped me out this year. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is it's like, it's not a numbers game for me. It's it, that doesn't matter. What matters are those values. Like, did we connect with each other in an authentic way? You know, did we show up? Did we uh, celebrate each other? Did we foster a sense of like what life's about, like feeling good and feeling at peace and feeling like all the things that we know we want to feel, but that we're so conditioned, frankly, to not easily get to. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. I think that this changing what our goal is, I think is key Mm -hmm. to figuring this thing out. And we live in a world that is so competitive and the goal seems to be more money, more attention, those type of incentives that do not actually fulfill us most of the time. Yeah. I mean, we need money to yeah. live. Like I, I don't yeah. put it against people that they have needs, no, you, you know, yeah. in a society, but I think we do have a need for connection and community that's not being met by some of our social systems. And so having that be a part of what you're trying to do is really exciting to me that it's not just about advertising to people to eat better or telling people like, Hey, here's, you know, some local produce you can buy. It's like, how do you get people to connect around something that's important to them. And if the end result of that is that they're more tied in with local food or local organizations or local anything, that that creates a stronger sense of community and connection. And it's not just, hey, let's sell as much organic food as we can or whatever. Because there's, you know, there's definitely like, there's a lot of money in trying to get people to like, quote unquote, eat better. There's, you know, these, you know, big national grocery chains, there's Whole Foods, whatever, which is like, Mm -hmm. that's Amazon. And there's all kinds of like, there's all kinds of bad stuff tied up in even the organic food world. It's still like a lot of mass agriculture stuff. So um, having that kind of local focus that's built around community, I think seems a very good way to, to make that change in a way that does not necessarily play into these bigger structures that have outsized negative impacts. Yeah. And I'm really interested in like the root cause. Like, I think that's evident in my personal health journey. Like I wasn't, I I mean, I was put on antibiotics for like two years when I was 12, like my poor microbiome, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it took me 20, like I'm 40, I'm almost 40, you know, like that it literally took me 30 years to get back to a place where I'm like, you know, in homeostasis or whatever. So my, but my point is, is like, that wasn't good enough for me personally, you know? And I, and I knew that I, um, that like something was in this or awry. And so that, in, you know, I continue to kind of delve deeper. And like I said, it was like a journey, right? It was, it's been like, literally, I'm not exaggerating, a 28 year journey for me to arrive at that place. So I, I'm trying to grow my own food, which I'm rubbish at, which is another reason why I like farmers. <laughs> and uh, my buddy, Yana, she does Verdant Connection. She's like a, a landscape architect. She was like, oh, this is 15 years of work. And it was such a beautiful sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's a community member. And because I had that relationship with her, but like having her say that to me, it just took all the pressure off. You know, I've grown like one cucumber this year and I'm like, in 15 years, I'm going to grow a lot of cucumbers, you know, but it's, it's like that journey, right? Like we haven't arrived. If we arrived, we wouldn't be here. We would not be on planet Earth. You know, there's a different planet that holds this type of hope. Yeah. I, well, I think that <laughs> the patience is a huge part of it. And again, it's all of these things are systemic to the world that we live in is we're like, we're trained to be impatient. We want everything now. Everything has to be convenient, including our own development and growth and learning there's this idea like i just want to watch like a ted talk and then all of a sudden be (laughs) fully informed and i'm a better person and it's like no like it's a lot it's a long time to make major changes in the way that you think and the way that you live and the 
the communities that you live in. So I think being patient with ourselves is really important. I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from too, is we're, we're impatient. So if we don't see these like immediate results, like the, the first time I let like carrots, yeah. I, I let my like farmer's market produce go bad in my fridge because I didn't know how to cook something or whatever. There's this idea of like, I'm a failure and I can never, I'll, I'll never do it again. And it's like, no, like that's a learning. And then, yeah. you know, like be easy on yourself a little bit. Well, and I, I told you this the other day when we met up, but I literally have rotting mustard greens in my crisper right now. Like I want to love them. And so I continue to hang on to them because I'm like, maybe I will find a way to like them, you know, but, and I, I'm trying to like eat less meat for, you know, my own reasons or whatever. And I, and like the only thing to me that would make these mustard greens palatable is like a ton of bacon. You know? So I literally, I've gotten them every week in my CSA box and I'm like, darn it, here we go again. You know, the only thing I can say that uh, I have like a worm composter. So I'm like, okay, I guess the worms are getting some like nutrient dense greens, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just wanted to point out that like root cause issue. Cause that's where I've arrived. And, and I mean, I'm always learning. I don't really feel like I'm, I've arrived either. Right. But I do feel like I've arrived at this place that the root cause is that disconnection mm-hmm. and is the lack of community. And so, yeah, that's what gets me out of bed and it, it keeps me up at night too. Like, you know, cause I don't, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I haven't been, I mean, are there graduate, like there, surely there are like some sort of degree I could get that's like community you know, something or other, you know, but I didn't get that degree. And right. so I'm just like trying to show up and like be myself, you know, I do have like a, a the personality of, you know, I, I always thought I was a people pleaser and that, that that's probably what has been said about me, you know, and, and that's not something I'm proud of. But then now the positivity part of my mind is like, actually, I think I'm just really community minded. Like I'm just not as attached to my, to what I need as I am to attach to what's better for all of us. You know, like I can compromise and, and not everybody's like that. Right. And so that's why I'm doing this community work is because I'm very naturally inclined to try to figure out what, you know, what the sum is going to be better than the part. And continually asking this question, what can we achieve together that we couldn't achieve individually or, or separate from each other? And that to me is not a question that everybody wants to ask, right? Because they have their own projects or their own things and they're feeling super positive and, and you know, enriched from those experiences. But that question alone within the local food scene because of my own personal you know, passions with it, that's the thing that excites me is what could I not achieve without you? You know what I mean? Like, what can we achieve together that we don't even know we can achieve because we're not in relation or whatever? You know, that that's the kind of thing that I find really exciting about this work. So Yeah, I, and I think that you mentioned you don't have to have a certain degree or a certain education or a certain yeah, experience yeah. to do that's a thing. <laughs> and that's one of the biggest lessons of this podcast is I am an extreme amateur. I have no idea what I'm doing. I had never hosted a podcast before. I'm also like a people person. My jobs have always been with the public. I was a tour guide. I host trivia. Like I do these, like I like a microphone, I guess, but I've never done a (laughs) podcast. And there's this sense of you have to do something right. If you don't do it right, Mm. like there's this fear of failure. Totally. I have that. It's silly. It's really, really silly to hold yourself back from doing a thing because you're worried that you don't have enough of the knowledge or enough of the training or enough of the expertise. I have become a huge advocate for just doing things badly like that as <laughs> me too just, just me too. do it do it wrong i don't i don't care like if, if the thing that's stopping someone from participating in the local food economy from uh from shopping locally from volunteering at a farm any of these things around food or just other generally being connected with their community it doesn't have to be around food but if yeah. there's something that's stopping someone from 
starting a project or creating some kind of group or committee or whatever to get something done is that they don't think they're the right person to do it or they don't think they have enough experience. All I can tell people is just go do something like you don't need to be afraid of failure. Just do it bad. And if it doesn't work out, then you learn something along the way too. Like totally, that's okay. Yeah. And I think that there's, that's one of the challenges that we run into. And again, you talked about this sense of like perfectionism that is very tied up with patriarchy and capitalism, all of these things that holds people back. Yeah. And I think letting go of that perfectionism and saying, oh, well, I, I don't know everything, but I know enough to do a thing. I can't do everything, but I know a little bit and I can do a little thing and just going and doing that thing. And sometimes you find that that's exactly where you need it to be. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And I, my friend, Melissa Gilbert, she's one of the people behind Be Friendly Reno. Um, she said something to me last year that's really helped me. She said, because I get really nervous about this local food week, you know, like I, I get scared mm-hmm. and I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> but last year she said, it's an offering, Jolene, you know? And so that was such a cool mental paradigm shift for me because the reason I was scared is because I wanted it to be successful. Of course you do. When you do something and you put work behind it, you want people to show up. Oh, yeah. You know? But it was it was absolutely just completely tied to this like fear of failure and feeling like I was going to be like the dorky kid on the playground or whatever that, you know, whatever that, wherever that comes from, I don't mm-hmm. know. And it's, it's kind of egocentric, right? Like, oh, if, if people show up, then I'm good enough and that I'm successful totally. and that I, right. And, and, and that's, it's completely natural. It's, I mean, I think it's unfortunately probably normal because we've been conditioned to feel like that. I don't know. I think there's hope in the future that we won't have to be, you know, so connected to those worrisome thoughts. But when she made it like that, I'm like, it's not about me this is something I'm passionate about. I'm cool to do the work. I like doing the little graphics. I like working with people and figuring out how to like help promote them in a, in a cute, punny way. And it's an offering to the community. And whoever shows up is exactly the people that need, or the person <laughs> who shows up, you know, and just just, how, just to kind of like fall back on that was such a nice, um, yeah, like gentle way of doing it. And this year, I got to say, like, I'm, I've really passed through some, some mental blocks. Like, I'm still a little nervous. You know, I mean, to be honest, another thing that helped me is listening to your podcast with Oliver because he was talking about the lifespan of our town because they're one of my heroes and mentors and models. And I'm like, dude, it's been going for like 25 years and I'm in my third year. Like, mm-hmm. I got time. I got yeah. time to do this well. You know what I mean? Totally. <laughs> like, it all ties back into that. Um, what, we're, what we're doing right now is just creating that relationship of vulnerability and of acceptance and understanding and knowing that like we're, we're showing up and we're doing the best that we can do. And we're probably helping people. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's that's what my hope is, is that these these little things, little conversations, small bits of community, connections that you might not have had otherwise, they make a little difference along the way, you know, and more people are included, more people are invited to the conversation it just yeah. creates more opportunity because I think that's really the key is people are going to find a way to engage or to participate that's comfortable for them, that works for them. So if all we can do is create a little bit more space, then yep. that's that's something that's valuable to someone along the way. So that's all I'm trying to do. And it, I'm glad that that's what you're trying to do around food, too, because I do think that's one of the areas that people do need to feel a little bit more welcome and welcome, uh, yeah. and capable of participating. I think we need to have that sense of agency around our food that doesn't mm-hmm. always really exist. So by mm-hmm. creating that space, I think you are giving people more opportunity to plug in in a way that works for them that they wouldn't have had otherwise. I think that's that's important. Yeah, totally. And I think there's I think you hit it perfectly upon the word invitation. 
because that's all that's all it can be mm-hmm. right is like you just like you are welcome like come on in like i said you know the water's fine and like just, food is so foundational that it's like there's got to be something in there yeah. that gets you through the day like what is that you know what i mean and go towards that go towards joy go towards that direction i mentioned to, this to you but it, it really has resonated with me so i'd like to share it because it's a compliment to you but someone said why is portland so great you know, because I think that my husband's always wanted to live there. I think it's amazing. Lots of good stuff up there, you know. And Reno does have like a little bit of a different kind of brand, if you will, I think, than Portland. I mean, we're smaller and there's lots of other reasons. But mm-hmm. um, and the person answered back, well, because people like Portland. And I think that resonated with me so much because I always felt like an outlier that I loved Reno so much. I mean, for one, I've been telling people this, too. I'm kind of scared of trees. So like, I love Reno because I love the desert. I just love the topography. Like every morning I wake up and I see those purple mountains. I am like, I'm at home, you know, and it's that sense of place. It's that connection again to place. Like this is the place that made me, Mm -hmm. you know, like what's not to love. Like, I mean, obviously we got our problems. We got our things, you know what I mean? But there's so much, I don't know, just the reality. The reality is, is that it's my home, you know? And so I'd like, I, I think the work that you're doing is helping foster an appreciation of Reno. You're focusing on all the differences and all the people and all the stories and all the good work and things like that. I think you're doing a lot of work in regards to like just helping increase, you know, the Reno love. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think that it's interesting because growing up here, I think like many people, I didn't like my hometown very much. And Reno also Mm -hmm. was a very different city. You know, when I was younger and I was like, Oh, Reno's so boring. There's nothing to do. That was probably kind of true at the time. (laughs) I mean, it's, it, as a kid, there's always not that much to do, but Reno has changed so much and it actually is a really, really desirable place to live. It's really cool and there's a ton of stuff going on. And I think that loving the place that you live is so rewarding and it feels good. And when I hear people talk badly about Reno while they're living here in Reno, I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why do you yeah. like live somewhere that you love or love the place that you live? There's so much great stuff in Reno. And I think it's really been fun for me to have those conversations and to just like openly love my city. And that's how it's been the last few years since I moved back here a few years ago. I basically jumped right into Reno is awesome. There's tons of great stuff to do. My jobs have helped with that because I've been, you know, as a tour guide, like, you know, paid to tell people (laughs) how great great Reno is. And but I've internalized that, too. And I'm like, oh, I actually believe it, too. Like, the more you talk about how much you love your city, the more you actually end up loving your city. And the more you have conversations with people who are doing cool things, the more you internalize that idea that there's a lot of great stuff happening in our town. So I think that that is part of the goal of this podcast is just to, like, openly, unashamedly love this city. It's not perfect, but it's really, really cool. There's a ton of amazing people here. And I think having pride in your hometown is valuable for you as an individual to love the place that you are, I think is really important. And I also think it's good for, you know, we've been talking about community this entire episode. I think that communities really thrive when they have a shared sense of love for the place that they are and the the people that are there. So that is part of my hope for this podcast is just, it's kind of a love letter to Reno. You know, this is a great place. And and I want to I want to talk about that. I want that to be the narrative of Reno is that Reno is a cool place and the people here love living here. That's important. So I'm glad I'm doing I'm glad that's what comes across. What else did we miss? Anything else that you want people to know about Reno Food Week or eating local or anything around community? We've talked about so many, you know, a yeah. wide range of things. But what did we miss? Anything that you want to make sure people hear? 
No, I think you did a great job asking me that question about like, how can people plug in? And I just would want people to know that there's lots of different opportunities and ways to do so. You can stay at home and watch a pollinator workshop. You can pledge to you know, financially invest some of your money locally, and that takes 30 seconds. And then the intention and time in doing so, that's important to me to hopefully be able to engage a wide audience of people who, and, and they find like ways to easily plug in um, and celebrate, you know, and connect and be like, hey, I was part of that. That was cool, you know? So thank you for asking that question. I feel like I answered that. Um, the only thing that's a little bit of a downer note is that Nevada is the third most food insecure state in the nation. And I, I just put that in my notes like late last night because I was thinking about it because we do have problems. I mean, we have problems with um, socioeconomic issues. We have problems with food being just near people, right? Like tons of food, food deserts. Mm -hmm. And the word is actually changing from food deserts to food apartheids because it's not like a lack of water, mm -hmm. right? It's a structural system that prevents the food to be easily accessible. Mm. Um, you know, do dollar stores don't have fresh, fresh veg, right. you know? And so people are literally like insurmountable miles away from, from fresh food. And how are you going to be, you know, how can you be healthy if it's like super hard to get those nutrient dense foods? So, and there's, that's a rural component to, mm -hmm. to it. Right. Uh, yeah. So I just, I guess the point is, is that there's a lot of work to be done in Nevada and that's the other kind of part of growing envy that I'd really like to um, encapsulate and focus on is it's the education piece. So teaching people how to grow and connecting the farmers who are growing that connection piece, obviously the community and just creating like that goal that we can accomplish a more resilient local food system together. And then third, really focusing on like sharing food and figuring out ways that we're going to do so. Um, I've worked, I'm working with a group of folks called Fresh Food Connect and it's an app and basically it, it enables people who have excess bounty in their backyards to be able to drop it off to food pantries and such. So that's another huge part that I see the community being able to offer because it's like how many thousands of backyard gardeners are there in Reno and how many pounds of food could potentially be going to people mm -hmm. if we were to create those super easy systems for folks to drop it off. I'm working with the free little pantry. She's got four locations around town and we're going to do like a pilot program for Growing Envy in order for people to feel like that's yet another way to engage in their local food system is to help address that food insecurity, to help do your part for the community. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you have all this bounty in your backyard, right? Like, isn't that such a beautiful thing to be able to offer and share that with the community? So um, things like that, things like that help us um, find ways to work on these really big and very, very important issues. Because seriously, I don't think there's anything that breaks my heart more than thinking about a kid who's hungry, you know, sorry, but so that's another part of it. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think that I wish we had more time because I think that there's an entire episode worth of conversation around things like food justice and making yeah. sure that people are able to be fed. It's very easy to have these conversations again, as like middle-class white people trying to eat organic food that totally. ignores some of the, the real harm of our food systems. It's, you know, we talk about, Oh, people aren't eating that healthy. And, uh, you know, we could all be eating a little bit better, but there are people who are actually hungry because of the way that our food systems work. And I think that's a, yeah. it's a much bigger and a much more, uh, intense conversation, but I think that mm -hmm. one that does need to be had. Well, and I have friends and people right within that, like, um, Megan O'Farrell is, does a lot of work with food, food insecurity. So she'd be a good person to have on, you know, there are better people than me. I think, I think I'm the best person to talk or not the best, but one of the best people to talk about building community within local food. Mm -hmm. But I think there are other people that I know that can really speak to it, who have done the work and are showing up every day and helping people and figuring out what the 
inadequacies and problems are and also what has been done. You know, there's a lot of work that was done, I feel like, with some of the CARES funding mm-hmm. um, that really helped bolster our local food system because Reno Food Systems got a grant through um, the CARES funding that enabled us to buy produce from local farmers after the farmer's market were over. That was just food that would be going literally to waste mm-hmm. or that would be composted. And so we were able to pick it up immediately and deliver it straight to food pantries and they were able to process it. And it wasn't a small figure. It was like a quarter of a million dollars, like Reno Food Systems. That wasn't all to Reno Food Systems. It was a, a group of people that had this offering, but it was a sizable chunk, you know. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately what happens though is like then that funding runs out. And then, you know what I mean? But we did learn some things and we were able to write a few different grants and we were able to model some programs and stuff. So it wasn't all for naught, but it, it was kind of like a little bit one off, you know, which I think is just a a byproduct of like of COVID and getting those injections of funds. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a, it's a huge issue. And I think that there's definitely room to talk about it in a Reno specific way. Yeah. And I do think there's leadership and I do think there's people involved in the community who are doing a lot of work. Yeah. That's good to hear. Well, I'll I'll just have to do an episode in the near future. That's about more of those specific issues. And I think the sustainability is a big part of it. And we talk about sustainability from like the ecological perspective of being able to, you know, sustain this planet as a place to live. But there's also the sustainability of projects like this, as far as funding and things need to be able to have, either ongoing funding through whatever government mechanism there is, or they need to be self-financed and sustainable financially. So there's a whole bunch of factors that go into creating local food systems that aren't just a quick fix or, you know, based on an injection of cash, but how do they operate year after year, season after season, and become part of the system rather than just a temporary quick fix, but an actual restructuring of the way that things work. No, I think you're you're on to exactly that. And I mean, I'm looking into that with Growing Envy. I have a little bit of grant funds, a little bit of volunteer time. You know, I'm look, looking at charging for courses with people potentially and different different types of revenue streams that feel just, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a good, it's a, a topical and very important question to be able to answer. Is like, the, and, and frankly, actually, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that there's not enough local food information on people's radar. Mm-hmm. You know, like they know that they need to support like um, kids or like, you know what I mean? Like uh, various kind of like hot topics or things that are like very prevalent that need to be helped. But local food, it sounds like, oh, well, people, you you know, people make money doing that or you sell your vegetables and you make money, you know, there's so much financial support that our local food system could benefit from, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's like people, larger foundations that could offer that. Um, we have tapped in a little bit to like national and state level grants and things like that. But um, I, and not to sound like desperate or, but I, I, it, it is a call to action. It is like, hey, there are a lot of people who are doing a lot of work on a shoestring budget that could absolutely benefit from more donation. You know, even Desert Farming Initiative, which is part of the university, is currently fundraising Urban Roots. That's what the, you know, executive director Faith does with a lot of her time is just making sure that there's funds to be able to provide garden education to youth, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if this, if this information is getting to the ears of people who have um, you know, connections to pockets and connections to the ability to people, you know, please hear me say that local food absolutely needs um, those types of sponsorships and the, those types of financial investment. And it's such a good cause. And there's so many good things about it that your money will go um, very well spent. Mm-hmm. And it'll have, it'll have, tri- you know, beautiful knock-on effects in terms of people's health, our environment. Um, I'd love Reno to become like a local food mecca, you know, like I'd love for us to be like local food leaders like New England is. New England Food Systems is like such a rad entity. And that's where I did the 21 Food Justice um, Racial Equity Challenge that literally changed my life and where I learned a lot of this framework stuff about 
white dominant culture and patriarchy. Um, I did it not even, it was under a year ago and it literally changed my life for the better. And it's kind of what I've been trying to do to show up for food justice and um, racial equity issues that we all are um, becoming more aware of. So, mm. yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. That's, I appreciate the ability to kind of cre- create that plea or yeah. say that plea. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm glad that there are organizations in Reno who are doing the work and building the structures and kind of putting things together and they just need the support and the resources in the community. And I'm a generally an optimist about Reno's future in a bunch of different ways. We're growing. A lot of people are moving here. I think that we are a city that has adapted and reinvented ourselves over and over and over again. And we have the potential to continue to yeah. do that. I think that Reno is a very kind of malleable city in terms of the the culture here, the way that we work economically, the way that our community builds and restructures itself over years and generations. I am a firm believer that Reno can be whatever we want it to be. So it's encouraging that there are these organizations doing the work. And really, uh, I'm optimistic that if we put the people in the right places and we create the communication and kind of the, the networks of people that are trying to make a difference in one way or another, that those things can come into fruition in Reno. I'm a firm believer in that. It's just a matter of, you know, putting the people together and creating the opportunities for it. So I'm really glad that those organizations are doing it. I'm glad that you're doing that around food because we definitely need leaders in each of these different areas. So having someone like you actually doing a lot of the on the ground work and making these connections and building this community and creating the, you know, the platforms and the, the potential for people to connect, I think is you know, you talked about the root causes, like you're planting new roots, I think, for the community, which I think is yeah. an important, you know, that's, that's the key. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I take that compliment. And I'm I'm honored and inspired and very happy that I've kind of found this because for the first time in my life, I'm like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> so that's another piece too about being 40 and not like having really set in my career. I, I always thought I wanted to be the GM of a local food co-op. And then I did that. And then I was like, oh no, I don't know if this is actually it, mm-hmm. you know? And then I had like a break and then I became a mom and every, like all hell broke. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I feel, I feel happy about the fact that uh, hopefully maybe I've arrived at something that uh, I'm naturally gifted at and that uh, can, can, uh, you know, keep me, keep me taken and help helping other people. Oh yeah. I mean, there's a whole conversation to be had about, about purpose and having that be what guides us and what we do. We could talk for hours and hours and hours. Oh my gosh. We're, this is going to be my first like six hour long podcast episode. That's uh, <laughs> my fault. No, we'll do all. You, you should come back on the show another time. I think that there's so much to talk about. And, uh, and I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and talk about food stuff and community. And this episode originally, my intention was, oh, we'll do an episode about Reno Food Week. But yeah. it has been so much more more expansive than that and more important than that. And I'm really grateful that we were able to kind of expand the scope of this conversation beyond just, Hey, come to food week, because I think there is a lot more to it, but come to food week, go to your local farmer's market. I know that the Riverside farmer's market has the, the food fair. Yeah. It's going to be Thursday, August 19th. So I think, I don't, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but it's in a couple weeks time from now. And that's the, um, it's cool because it's their inaugural event. And it was really beautiful because she's like, hey, I know you're doing local food week, Casey, the market manager. And she's like, I want to do this food fair with loads of like local food competitions, eating competitions, pie baking competitions, workshops. And I want to do it during local food week. And I was like, ah, oh, this is brilliant. This is exactly what I want. I want people within the local food community coming to me every year 
when can I do tomato Tuesday? When is local food week happening again? And, you know, so it was a, a perfect, uh, a perfect marriage, if you will. So yeah, that's on Thursday. We're giving away locally grown food, like at every single market within Reno. And I wanted to say it's not just Reno local food because we got an event in Fallon. We have, we're at the farmer's market in Carson city and in Sparks. Uh, we're going to win away herbs at Reno food systems on their urban farm stand. I mean, come on, it's been there the whole time. Urban, urban, I mean, so good. It's actually one of my favorite things that's happened this year with local food week. I got tomato Tuesday. So we're giving away a pound of free tomatoes to the first hundred people. The bonsai blue garden market is a new market. It was here last year and it's just early days for them. And we are giving away um, peppers. So you pick your favorite pepper. They've got like, you know, mild ones, shishito and hatch peppers all the way down to the Thai dragon and the ghost pepper. So folks can come and pick their favorite um, pepper at the Carson Farmer's Market, we're giving away flowers and we're going to be doing a pollinator workshop online. And I mean, so many, I think there's a, more than a dozen events, so I'm not going to go through them one by one, but there are some cool opportunities to get some fresh, free, locally grown goodness. And what's what's the best place for people to get the overview and kind of see what all these events are? Is it the Growing Envy site? So it's growingenvy.com? Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, it's growingmb.com. And just a caveat, it is a membership site and that's not to scare you. Like I'm, I don't want your data, you know, um, the reason why they do it is because it is a community. And so if you go to growingmb.com forward slash events, that'll take you exactly to the list of events that we have on for the week. And, and each one has its own description. You can RSVP to the ones that need RSVPs to the, the, the farmer's market. You just got to show up. But yeah, that's where you get all the information. And then once you sign up, then you are part of the community if you want to be. And then we're, you know, the real work is going to be this next year, like, you know, getting together, figuring out, I'm going to do a big visioning session about the priorities and distilling the mission further so that I really can focus uh, my energy on providing what's most needed in the community. And uh, there'll be loads of offerings throughout the year. We're going to do the year in garlic course again. So it's a cool thing where it's like, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to do a bunch Mm -hmm. more work. You know, we have this amazing asset, like how can we repurpose this and get more people, different people to do it this year, you know? So we'll be giving away garlic for those who want to enroll in the course at the Riverside Farmers Market, their local food fair. So yeah, lots of offerings, lots of things to talk about and hopefully lots of different ways to plug in and it's all on growing. Excellent. Perfect. I'll put a link to that in the show notes and everything. And thank you again so much for coming on the show. It was super awesome to talk to you about food stuff. I'll have to have you on the show again. We have a million more things to talk about. (laughs) Well, I have lots of, I know people too, right? I got my people. So if if there's anything food related or farming or any of that type of stuff, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye, Connor. It was so fun talking to you. Listeners, thank you again for tuning into this week's episode of Renoites. And special thank you to my guest, Jolene Cook, for putting on Reno Food Week and doing so much work in our community around food and building community and getting people together. Really important work, and I really appreciate it. Go to growingenvy.com to see all the happenings with Reno Food Week and just to connect with your community. As always, if you have any feedback about this episode or any others, I would love to hear it. Shoot me an email. My email address is connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. And if you have a moment, I would love for you to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find the show. Only takes a moment. If you leave those five-star reviews when people find the show, they'll see how good it is, and they're more likely to listen. So help me out. Do that. Also, spread the word about the show. It's still new. I'm always trying to let people know that Renoites exists. There's a lot of people in town who listen to podcasts and they don't even know about this show yet. So feel free to let your friends and family know, share posts, spread the word, and help us reach as many people as possible. I appreciate it. That's all I got for you this week. 
See you next time.